Not only are we at my favorite letter of the alphabet, because it's the first letter of my last name, Farzi, but we are in the greatest city in the Ontario Hockey League, and one of my favorite spots. And you know why, Mike? I do. Do I have you know to say why. it? Do I have to say it again? You have this thing for this guy. Uh, hang on, if I can remember his name. Ezer, Wiser. I, yeah, I, something Ezerman. like that. Ezerman. Yeah. Right. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> Only the greatest player to ever play the game of hockey. And this is where it started uh, in the junior ranks, obviously. Steve Eisman, a former member of the Peterborough Pete's. And that's why we uh, love making our stop in Peterborough here with Pete Dalladay. Hey, guys. Yeah, Stevie Y, one of the greatest to ever wear the, the maroon and white. He wasn't here long, but he made a big impact. That's, that's for sure. Since we're on the subject of that history, though, truly, is, I mean, I'm hard pressed and, and I'm talking to you as a Kitchener broadcaster, but Pete, you yeah. know, as well as anybody, I'm not sure there's a franchise with a, a richer history than the Peterborough Pete's. Uh, yeah, I mean, I'm partial and I'm right in the, the middle of it. And we, <laughs> we, we, we've been really lucky. I mean, right from the get go when actually the Pete's came uh, to us from Kitchener. Back That's in right. 19- the old Canucks. Yeah, 56 uh, before our time, guys. But uh, I know my dad was around then and and, and uh, Scotty Bowman was a, sort of our first big name, right? Uh, as, as far as uh, names go and Hall of Famers, coached the Peets for a couple of years. And right from there, it's just continued with the Redmond brothers and, and into the 80s with the, the Bob Gainies of the world and the Roger Nielsens. And the list goes on and on. In the 80s, we could go on forever, guys. We could remember playing, you know, Steve Iserman and Dave Reed and Ty Domi and Mike Ricci. And that just gets us to 1990, you know, so <laughs> it's, it's, it's a rich tradition. We've been, we're really spoiled here. And, and, and the same goes for some other OHL markets, even Oshawa down the road has been spoiled pretty good too. But yeah, we've been pretty lucky. I like how you said even Oshawa. As yeah, if like, well, I don't want to bring them up, but yeah, I guess yeah. them too. COVID's changed me a little bit. I've taken it easy on Oshawa the last couple of years. I've been, you know, it's actually a pretty good town and some great people there, but we always used to joke. The best part of Oshawa was leaving. That was, that was the joke for the longest time, but it's uh, I don't use that one as much anymore. <laughs> leaving I, with the two points was always the best. Yeah. yeah. What was that rivalry like for you, even as a broadcaster, because sometimes, you know, it used to be a lot, Kitchener Guelph, it's certainly become Kitchener London, although the playoffs between Kitchener and Guelph are getting pretty good the last couple of years. But there's an energy, yeah. there's something about it when Chris and I are on the road in London and you know that that rivalry is there. You feel it as a broadcaster too. How does the Oshawa Peterborough rivalry feel to you? Yeah, similar. Uh not so bad in the regular season, but like anything, it come playoff time. Uh, there's a lot on the line. And as a broadcaster, what's on the line is more more opportunities to work and you want to keep going. You want to be at the rink, uh, as you guys know, going to the rink in a T-shirt, if you will. Once, you know, that's the best hockey weather there is. And so there, there's a lot on the line for everyone. So I know there's been some heated battles in that old Oshawa rink, uh, the old Civic. Uh, the broadcast booths were right beside each other. And, uh, you know, there was there was times where things got heated. I remember the time uh, my dad, who was doing the color commentating, he won the 50-50 during a playoff game one time. And the whole, when they announced his name, the whole Civic Auditorium booed. It was fantastic. It was, uh, <laughs> it was a great moment that he was very proud of the night he got booed in Oshawa when he won the 50-50. That's great. Just on that note, <laughs> what's, it, what's it like calling games for a team that your, your dad obviously had some linkage to? 
Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, hometown. He had, a, as he described, a cup of coffee. He played a little bit under Scotty Bowman and until Scotty traded him uh, or sent him down to St. Mary's uh, to play Junior B and, and never <laughs> made his way back. But, um, yeah, I mean, growing up, uh, that's all I knew was the maroon and white. I played a little AAA when I was younger and got to wear that the maroon and white jersey, and it's a big deal. I mean, the uh, to go to the Memorial Center on a Thursday, you know, it's like Kitchener on a Friday. It's just game night. And there's just something really cool about uh, being associated. Uh, you know, you mentioned Steve Eiserman. I mean, I didn't really know Steve Eiserman. I was only 14, maybe when he played here, or even younger than that, actually. But, you know, uh, I remember my going down to the rink and my dad interviewing all those guys. And, and I just hung around and I was always around the rink. And, you know, I was very lucky that way because I learned a lot just by kind of being around it. But um, again, I'm pretty lucky, you know, just to be around a, a legend like Dick Todd as well. You know, and you learn so much just by watching him and things I was able to bring helping minor hockey. You know, I'd always go back and I go, I remember Dick Todd did this and Dick, T- Dick Todd did that. So, yeah, it's, it's been a cool hockey town to grow up in. I mean, it's, it's tradition for sure. When last we left the Peterborough Peets, uh, they were up against, as was the entire Eastern Conference, I would say, Pete, that juggernaut Ottawa team that seemed bent on avenging their shortcoming the year prior, but still yep. second place holding down the two seed as the playoffs approached. Uh, what was the what was the feeling with that club when things all came crashing down back in March of 2020, oh. which might as well have been 20 years ago, it feels like? <clears throat> yeah, it feels like a long time ago, but you know, Pete says, you guys know, we're all in, I mean, they, they traded for Akil Thomas. They, you know, that Hunter Jones was just getting into a groove and even Akil Thomas had just settled in nicely. He was just starting to kind of, you know, I think he was a little tired when he came back from the world juniors, you know, he, he scores the big goal there. It's a bit of a whirlwind. The Leafs had him up doing some stuff like it. And he was just starting to get into a groove there. Everyone was excited. The town was getting excited. Because the, the, for the first time in a, a few years, the Peets were really, really going for it. Rob Wilson had those guys really dialed in, and the crowds were starting to get closer to 3,900 on a regular basis, right? Not just on a promo night or student night. Like, it was becoming a hard ticket to get. And um, it all came, as you say, crashing down. The Sudbury Wolves were on their way to Peterborough for a Thursday night game, and and uh, my son is f- friends with uh, Chase Stillman. And I think there was some community. That's the first I had heard about it. I, he's like, hey, the Sudbury Wolves are turning around, going home. I'm like, this is real now. This is, you know, this is, we're not going to the rink tonight. But there was a lot of buzz, a lot of excitement. And um, as, as was the case, but you mentioned Ottawa. It's funny. The Peets really had the Ottawa, Ottawa's number that year. They're the one team that really gave Ottawa a hard time for whatever reason. And so the Peets felt very confident had they met Ottawa in the East final, um, they, they had the, the horses to get by them. What's this Peets team going to look like? Cause you, you mentioned they were all in and, you know, they lose their yep. top, top two lines up front and, you know, five or six D on the back end. And then, <laughs> you know, you mentioned Hunter Jones, it, it's going to be a whole new look for this uh, as you, as you called them, the maroon and white. Yeah. Um, that's funny. I, Knowing I was talking to you guys tonight, I was talking to Burton Lee, who is the Pete's business operations manager. Of all things, we were at a soccer uh, press conference. Uh, there's a pro soccer team coming to Peterborough, by the way. It was announced today. And nice. Burton's one of the owners. But anyway, I asked, and he's like, you know what? Your guess is as good as mine. Like he, Even as the business manager, he doesn't really have it wrapped in his head what kind of team they have coming back or who's coming back. You know, it's so confusing. Like, I, I mean, I know Mason McTavish is coming back, but, you know, he's going to probably get a, a look 
with Anaheim, stranger things have happened. When Jordan Stahl was selected, I think, third overall or whatever it was to Pittsburgh years ago, the Pete's thought you know, they were getting him back. Jeff Tui had him penciled in, you know, obviously as his top centerman. He never came back. We haven't seen him since. So is there a chance Mason McTavish could stick with Anaheim? Nowadays, you don't know. As you guys know, 18-year-olds are – yeah, they're like 23-year-olds now. They're ready physically. So – uh, it'd be his team, though, to come back to. And then, of course, we have a guy like Donovan McCoy, who, uh, again, we've never seen. Like, uh, Burton joked that, uh, you know, I assume he's been working out at home in Belleville, but, you know, they haven't even seen this kid on the ice. And that was two drafts ago. So, you know, um, goaltending will be a bit of an issue. I do, like, Ty Austin will be fine. And he'll come back, I think, at this point. He's an overager. I don't know. I've lost track as where all these guys are. But, um, you know, Mason McTavish, if he comes back, I would expect him to make the Canadian World's team. He'd have a shot at it anyway. Yeah, he'd have a crack at it. But I think uh, he's a heck of a hockey player. He went to, to Anaheim. And when he comes back to Peterborough, I could see him leading this team. But where are they going to fit against uh, the rest of the East? And I guess that's all we're kind of getting, right? It's, it's just Eastern mm-hmm. teams here. We won't even see you guys. But um, we'll wait and see. We'll know in uh, two months, I guess. Eh? You bring up that name, Pete. And I, I wanted to just put the name out there for further conversation from you. Because when we talk about the Eastern Conference, and Chris and I have, quite frankly, bitched about this a number of times, with the schedule being what it is, we won't see yeah. the East, which means we're not going to get to see Shane Wright. But in that conversation almost in the same breath, and you would know better than anybody, Mason McTavish. Tell us, from your perspective, seeing him as much as you did, how special this hockey player is. So it's funny you say hockey player, because I I use this cliche a little bit, and maybe too often, but I feel Mason McTavish is a hockey player versus just just a kid that's really good at hockey. Because I think over the years, I've just seen a lot of kids, and nothing against them, but they're just really good at the game. They play 12 months of the year now. Uh, they train, but I, I don't know that they're all hockey players. And Mason McTavish, from the first week I saw him play, maybe because he grew up in the game, his dad's a former Pete and a former pro, but he is what I call a real hockey player. And I'm not surprised at all that Anaheim took him at third. I was, I was a little, I guess I was a little surprised the night of the draft because he was rated a little lower. But had you told me uh, pre-COVID that Mason McTavish would be third overall, I would have said, yeah, I mean, he's a, he's a, he got off such such a great start with the Peets and he lost a little bit of ice time when they made some deals and Akil Thomas came in, but he was on pace for like, you know, 35 goals at one point. Like, so I really like him. Um, and um, I think Anaheim made a real good pick there. So hopefully uh, he connects with Dallas Eakins out there, another former Pete's and uh, I'm, I'm sure Dally will make him real comfortable. He's, he's really good with the young kids. I hate to be this guy, but Obviously, we lost half a season there, which would have been a great playoff run for Mason to even show what he's more capable of. And then you lose that next season. Now, taken so early in the draft, if he is sent back, do the Peets think about dealing him? Popper, what do you got to be that way for? I'm just saying they have a really young crop. They lost a lot of guys. Now, it's just that's the way you automatically think around the O. Yeah. Yeah. I I think you got to have that conversation internally and and say where we're going to be at here. Uh, I'd say the minute if, if, if he were to crack the national junior team and he's going to be away for, I'm assuming a month, it seems like a month now that these, I mean, that that's a lot of games. Uh, and depending on where the Pete's are, it's just like any other team. They got to, you know, evaluate and go, you know what? We need to get back what we gave up to get a Thomas a couple of seasons ago and some of these other players. So 
you know, Mike Oak's got to, you know, have that going through his head already. If you're thinking about it, then I, he probably is too in the back of his head. But um, yeah, it's a good question. It's fair. Why wouldn't you? You know, and you alluded to this already, Pete, but I think it's it's worth kind of reminding folks because fans are going to be excited, I think, just to be back to have this, you know, familiarity again, Thursday nights at the Memorial Center, like you've already talked about. But yeah. we're coming into a season where, yes, obviously, after going all in, in the busted season in, you know, 2019, 2020, it's a young crop for Peterborough. But really you look around this league and it, it, you're, you're flipping a coin for a lot of teams. Cause you got two crops of rookies essentially coming in. Yeah. You, you got 30 kids coming in that <laughs> yeah. have never, you know, all vying for like what seven spots, maybe or eight, I guess. I, I suppose this, this will be a unique season to be the most rookies in the Ontario hockey league ever. Right. If my math is correct or my, if I'm thinking about it the right way. The program sales will be unbelievable. I mean, every, you know, I would take the name bars off and do the old George Steinbrenner thing he did with the Yankees. That's why their names were never on the back of the, the jerseys there in New York, because George wanted to sell more programs. So I, mean, I think that, tell Dave Branch that I think program sales will be up if they take the name bars off. <laughs> Wouldn't that be something? Yeah. What's, I, what's the last time you bought a program like outside of being like in the media room? I used to love buying a program when I went to it, but you don't have to anymore, really, you know? Every game I go to that I'm not calling, I'm buying a program just because I want to see what the program is. And I like the lineup sheet, you know, like you said, always check who's that right. Yeah, yeah. I find it hard enough on game 65 with teams around the OHL. I'm still looking. What number is he? What number is he? Do you keep score at the baseball games too, Popper, when you go? No. No, you're not that. Okay, you're not that. uh, All right. I think if I... uh, If I, if I wasn't so encouraged to have a couple beverages while I'm at a baseball game, I might keep score because I do yeah. enjoy keeping score. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I am that guy that likes to, you know, mark oh, one goal, two assists, one, you know, how'd that guy do? But that's another story. <laughs> um, we've talked about that Akil Thomas trade, and it was obviously a huge one for Peterborough to make. They had acquired a few other players. Um, but when you make a splash like that, that really sends a message to the team and the city. What was it like around Peterborough when you get a guy oh. like Akil who's coming in off the World Junior Tournament he had? Well, it was the timing of it too, right? He just scores the the goal. And, and I remember watching that game and kind of knowing that uh, the deal was coming through or I'd heard rumblings that it was, you know, so it was exciting. It was like, we're, you know, we're getting this guy. It's, it's, uh, it's, it's going to be a blast. And, um, you know, uh, Barrett Hayton, I think was on that team too. It's all a blur now, but was he, was he not the captain of that team too? I, I believe he was. Yeah. So I remember Barrett came back to Peterborough briefly. I think he was injured. So he had to, got to spend a little time and I, I remember meeting him down at, uh, Fontaine source for sports. And, and at that point, the trade had been announced and he just couldn't say enough good things about Akil Thomas. So there was a real buzz in the city. Uh, you know, we're pretty spoiled here in the summertime with the Peterborough Lakers lacrosse team winning a lot of man cups and filling the Memorial Center. So it was just it was a nice uh, change in a way that all that excitement was for the Pete's as well in the springtime. So, yeah, Akil, uh, you know, as I said earlier in the podcast, uh, you know, I think the best was still to come from him. I think he was just kind of gearing up for playoffs, which we were only what, a couple of weeks away from. And on that point, it, you know, because Oshawa had gone out and gotten Tomasino, obviously yeah. thinking of yeah. great things the following season as well. Ottawa was on the mission that we already talked about. But the message that that was sending as well, the Akil Thomas deal, is that like we're not rolling over. Like Ottawa may be, you know, running away with the regular season, but you mentioned Pete's play them tough when they played each other. And you're not just going to gift something to anybody in this league. No, you know, and, and 
you say Ottawa too. We talked about the rivalries earlier, uh, Oshawa Peterborough. But I tell you what, for for a lot of seasons, that Ottawa Peterborough rivalry has just been, you know, pretty fierce as well. You know, they play each other almost as many times, um, so it, it can get pretty heated too. Especially in the Brian Kilray days, there there were some great battles, you know. But um, yeah, I think it made a statement. I mean, already Peterborough had Ottawa's number. Then they go out and get a Keel Thomas, like the sixty sevens. I'm sure they weren't shivering or anything but uh, you know you look at that lineup all of a sudden go wow these guys already play us real good now they got another weapon so yeah it will never know I mean that's the frustrating part I mean I know that drives Rob Wilson crazy and his staff and and it's just so frustrating because you'll never know you know it's it's like that in everything and my son was about to play in a in a Lakeshore final it just it had a great season and we'll never know how how they would have made out you know you just got to assume they're going to win, but we don't know. It's Beautiful. If we could, if we could pivot just for two seconds and yeah. I know this is mostly about the Pete's and that's what we're doing going around the OHL, but we got to ask, we've, we've talked to numerous people about a guy like Shane, Wright, And we're not going to get to see him too much. Yeah. You see Mason McTavish all the time. Where does, is there, are there similarities in the game between a guy like Shane Wright and Mason McTavish? Cause to be quite honest, Mike and I don't know much about Shane Wright's game other yeah. than seeing him twice and watching yeah. highlights and going, well, another two goals for him. Like this kid's unbelievable. Is there any comparison? Um, other well, the best comparison with those two is they're again they're they're at the right place at the right time. You know, the good players know where to go. Uh, I think Shane Wright's probably a little bit more razzle dazzle and probably scored a few more highlight reel goals, whereas Mason McTavish scored a few more sort of you know Brett Hall style goals, like kind of like a one timer sort of down on one knee in around the net sort of thing. Uh, picking up rebounds, getting his nose dirty. You won't see him as much on the highlight reel as you would see Shane. But um, yeah, I know, I know what you're thinking and I know how you feel because in the West, there's been so many good players in the West over the years. I always remember like Joe Thornton when he was playing for the Sioux. Like, I think we saw him play once in Peterborough because he was what in the Sioux two years. And the one, one year, I think he was at the world juniors. So it's, I would like to see more, of the Kitchen Rangers, the Guelph Storm. I mean, the Guelph's only a two-hour and five-minute drive from Peterborough. Why aren't we playing the Guelph Storm more than once a year down there? Like, I'd like to see a little bit more. Obviously, not this year. We're not going to see see anyone from the West. But uh, you know, which is disappointing. I know, uh, you know, Nolan Burke is a kid that plays for uh, the Sarnia Sting. He's a Peterborough kid, and you know, he's only got a chance to play in his hometown once. You know, and that was as a basically 16, 17 year old. He missed last year and he's going to miss this year. He may finish his OHL career with only one stop in his hometown. And it's, it's pretty disappointing, but uh, yeah, I'll, uh, I'll be sure and send some Shane Wright highlights down your way because, you know, Kingston's got, uh, you know, a, a player that they deserve. It's been a while since the Frontenacs have had a really a marquee player. I just hope the fans get out and support them. Uh, the Frontenacs this year because they got a great rank and uh, they got a great name and a whole new coaching staff. So I hope they have a good year, despite the fact they kind of parted ways with my friend, Jeff Tui and some other uh, Peterborough connections, Curtis Foster. I still want to see hockey in Kingston grow because it's such a, a great potential market there. You're preaching to the choir, Pete, when you talk about the, the loss really that the league suffers when fans can't see certain players. And in the West this year, in what is likely Shane Wright's last year in the league, Western conference fans are going to be denied the opportunity, but there there's room here, I think for the league to get creative, bigger picture. Yeah. And, yep. and 
even if it's not a realignment, just a reimagination of a schedule so that you can see more of the other side and, and share these talents with more fans in the league. Yeah. I mean, um, going back to when, you know, I'll, I'll take a Peterborough Oshawa game any night, whether it's a of course. Thursday in Peterborough or a Sunday in Oshawa. I loved going down there on Sunday nights, but I'll be honest. There were times the Belleville Bulls and, and I went to school in Belleville. I love the Bulls, but there was times that Belleville would come in on a Saturday night or Ottawa for and it's like, and I'm a broadcaster. I'm getting paid to be at the rink, but I'm like, oh my gosh, I, do I want to see these guys again? I much rather see the Kitchener Rangers and those great uniforms and, and, or Guelph, London, you know, it's crazy because we're actually closer to, uh, to Guelph, to Kitchener. Um, than we are Ottawa yet. We make the trip down to Ottawa. Uh, Peterborough does, you know, four, maybe sometimes five times a year. Right. I'd love to see some sort of realignment where, you know, maybe it's not totally balanced may, and maybe that's okay. You know, maybe it's okay that Peterborough goes to Guelph or Kitchener uh, at least twice a year instead of once. And they go to Ottawa one last time. I, I don't know, but I'm with you guys. I'd like to see more of the other teams. And, and with the way you, know, you guys travel and you're on the buses now, it's not as though it's a 1982 anymore. Travel's getting a little easier. Um, kids are in better shape. The schooling, the technology is there. We obviously know that now better than ever. Now's the time to start thinking about that for sure. Might have been a little more fun back in the day with, you know, the beer cans and a pillowcase out the window and <laughs> the slap shot, keep them uh, yeah. exactly, exactly. Oh. A slap shot playing on the little yeah. television 13 times. I remember Mike Brophy, Brophy was traveled with the Pete's um, starting in 1979, the year they won the Memorial Cup. And you talked talk to him and I'm sure, you know, obviously, you know, uh, some of the guys that you Donnie Cameron would have great stories back when he was still with this and um, and some of those guys. But some of the changes, you know, they went from like eight tracks on the team bus to now like satellite TV, right? So it's just unbelievable, the changes. It's, we hardly get uh, the TV anymore or the movies because everybody's just buried in their phone or their iPad. It's not, you know. That's what I hear. I, I haven't done away games in about four or five years, and I understand it's just really quiet. And uh, I don't know if I could, you know, do that. I liked sort of, you know, when it was, you know, there was a little bit more talking going on, but you're right. I mean, I have teenagers. I know what they're like. They're they're on, <laughs> they're buried in the phone, you know, Um the whole time. So it'd be kind of weird. You must get more sleep on the bus now though. Do you? I'm, I'm really good at it. Yeah. I'm not so good. I try, <laughs> oh, okay. but yeah, <laughs> I'm, I'm asleep by the time we leave the odd parking lot some days. Uh, Pete, we, we call this podcast OHL stories. And for a guy who's been around that maroon and white for so long, do you have any good, uh, maybe it, maybe it's an Oshawa Peterborough story. It doesn't need to be, or a story about Jeff Tui. Oh, uh, well, Jeff, you know, the thing about Jeff, I remember is, uh, he used to sit at the front of the bus, um, and Dick Todd actually sat at the back when they were, when they were a combo. I'm not too sure why Dick sat at the back. I think he had a bad back or just like to keep his eye on things. I don't know, but Jeff would sit in that front seat there where, you know, kind of usually the head coach will sit. And I just remember him. He was always so good with uh, the kids. Like if, if they had an issue and whether it be hockey related or not hockey related. And the one guy that really stands out in my mind is Chris Pronger. And Chris, I was just, I think I was doing video for the Pete's back then. I wasn't on the broadcast with, with Billy Bennett back in those days, but Chris would always get, make his way to the front of the bus about 15 minutes outside of, let's say they're going to Kitchener and we're just pulling off the 401 and heading on to, what is it? Highway six or to get into Seven, town. Eight, yep. Yeah. Seven, eight. So, yeah. so eight. Yeah. So Chris had always come up shirt done, jacket on and sit beside Jeff for about 10 minutes. Cause he was ready to go. He was, you could tell he was a pro right from the get go. And Jeff was, he would talk hockey with whoever wanted to talk hockey, whether you're a player media or whatever. 
just, just a great guy. He just lives around the corner from me. So I, you know, I've seen him a few times during COVID uh, and he's just uh, a wealth of knowledge and I'm, I'm glad to see him back in the game with Florida. So, uh, so that's great. I think he, you know, the fact that he was unemployed for a little bit is, uh, was too bad because he's such a great hockey mind, but uh, great OHL stories. I mean, I don't know. I mean, we had a lot of good times with my dad who did color with me and, and he was a bit of a character. And I remember one night in Erie, you guys would go down to Erie more than we would go. We'd only go once a year. And you remember the old press box that was just a makeshift box. It was basically just in the last row of seats. Yes, like I do. Just, they, yeah, it was just a table basically with some chairs, right? And um, we were up there and there was a sign in behind that um, table. It was like a Bud Light sign or something. Great big electronic sign. And it gave up a ton of heat. It gave off a ton. Of, it got really hot up there. I don't know if you remember that or not, but so my dad, who always dressed up pretty good, he'd have a shirt and tie. He was kind of like Donnie Cameron, right? Or Jimmy Gilchrist, uh, like the old school guys. I kind of tried to get away with a black turtleneck for about eight years in a row there because I found that was a good, <laughs> a good road. You could, you know, you could wear it wherever. Like it was just, it was a good road wear, good but he would be, he'd be dressed up. I look over and there's Mike Davies from the Peterborough Examiner. The Peterborough has quite the entourage. They have two stats guys. They have a video guy. They got all the, you know, it's, they got Davies. Like we have quite the entourage. We all try to stay together as you guys know. And so I look over and we're halfway through the second period. And I look over to my dad in the middle of the play and he's taken off his dress shirt. He's take he's down to a thin white t-shirt with his chest hair hanging out, a gold chain sitting there. And you're remember you're in the middle of the crowd doing, doing the game in Erie. He didn't care. He was, he was so hot. He's like, didn't rattle him at all. He just, he got right down to the, uh, it was almost tarps off for him that night. So (laughs) that's one that sticks out a little bit. And then back home in Peterborough, that old press box upstairs, like way up. It's, it's not there anymore. It's still there, but they moved it down. Well, there was no washroom up there. And as you guys know, there's a lot of OHL ranks where the last thing they've thought of is putting a washroom near the, near the press box or in the press box. Like, well, how many rinks have a washroom in the press box area? Like two, maybe Ottawa, uh, not many. Like, so we just, people would just go out on the, uh, onto the roof at the, at the <laughs> Memorial center. Right. And that's, so I remember being out there a lot of times with, uh, guys, I, it's just some good memories. Uh, like Alan Doyle from great big C was in town one night, uh, for a concert. He wanted to come to the Pete's game because Corey Crocker was playing for the Pete's and he's from Newfoundland as well. So he's like, where do you go to the washroom out here? Like, well, Mr. Doyle, right outside on, on the roof there, pal. So some great <laughs> stories. I mean, not really hockey related for say, but uh, just some fun stuff. We had a lot of, a lot of fun over the years. Uh, no question about it. And you know what? Your dad ran a mean media room there in Peterborough in his, in his later yeah. years. Yeah. Him and Don Barry, yeah. um, you know, and, and uh, the, the room is now named after him and uh, which is, which is an honor. Same with, with Don down in Kitchener, which I've never been in that room. As they say, I haven't been on the road in a while and I'd love to go in. Cause you mentioned to me that it's uh, or I guess as of you, or it was uh, Larry and Guelph said they got to do the room up in Peterborough, like they have down in Kitchener, because I guess it, it looks fantastic. And so maybe we'll work on that a bit, but it was a nice honor. Uh, he loved it. it you know, he loved when you guys came in. He especially got excited when teams from the West came in. People he hadn't seen in a while, and he knew he was only going to see them for the the one uh, the one time. And and so he got more excited for those games and didn't want to miss them because if you miss them, then you wouldn't see the anyone for the next year. So yeah, it's uh, you know it'll be three years tomorrow. Uh, three years on Tuesday. I don't know when you when you're dropping this, but uh, 
it's hard to believe that. And I think he passed away the same year as Don. Did we lose Don in 2018 as well? Or was it the year before? 17. Yeah. 17. Okay. So yeah. couple, couple legends gone within a, within a year or so. And no way. I, I, no, it was the end of the 17th. Thing, right. It was 2018, 17, okay. 18 season. Yeah. yeah. You're absolutely right. Yeah. So anyway, yeah, I love the legends. Jimmy Gilchrist is still going strong in Kingston. I know he's been on your podcast. I think, um, you know, some of the greats, you know, uh, got a lot of respect for them and, and, uh, they call a great game. I I really love how sort of, I don't want to call them old timers, but, uh, the veterans, uh, call a game and and Larry down in Guelph. And it's just, uh, I love listening to those guys. I love making it up to Peterborough. It's one of my favorite places to call a game just because of the history in that building and the hall, the hall of fame there down around the concourse. We always try to make a trip down and take a look like it's so beautiful. Hall of fame. Yeah. Yeah. It's amazing. Yeah. It's just stunning. Yeah. And and being up in the press granted, I think sometimes it's so cool just to see all the history with the pictures around and all like the uniforms and everything. And then when you're up in the press box, I love what they did with the recent uh, renovations where they put all the banners across that one side. I can imagine as a visiting team, when you're walking out of the bench (laughs) and you're staring up, you're like, Oh boy, we are in one. Yeah. Lots of history. And, a lot of lacrosse banners too with the Lakers. So we're, we're, we're lucky that uh, we have things going almost 12 months of the year, really down there at the, the good old PMC, which has got to be the third oldest uh, rink in the league. How old's the odd now? Uh, 1951. So she's yeah. 70 this year. Yeah. Sudbury would be maybe the oldest. So Peterborough may be the third oldest rink in the league. Yeah. Here we are. So you mentioned yeah. that connection between uh, the Rangers, of course, the forerunners to as the Pete's came out of Kitchener, uh, we got another connection on our interview coming up with Mike Duco, who of course played for the Rangers with that Memorial cup team in 08 and was an assistant mm-hmm. up in Peterborough for a spell. So we uh, caught up with him for our feature interview that's coming up, but Pete, it's great to get your time. Thanks so much for swapping some stories with us this week, Mike. Thank you. And uh, Chris, I talked to Dan Malta today. He said you guys went to school together and uh, would have some stories, but we'll save those for another time. I'm sure there are some stories between Dan and I, for sure. Pete, <laughs> Thank thanks a lot. You're coming back then, Pete. Okay. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> we'll see you next year. All right, buddy. Take care. Thank you, guys. So, Mike, you were part of the uh, last championship team in Kitchener, and fans in the city still talk about that, obviously. What do you remember from that year as, of course, Memorial Cup hosts? You wanted to go in the front door, but won an awful lot of games with Pete DeBoer and Steve Spott that year. What was that year like as a player? Oh, it was unbelievable. I mean, we had a pretty close group. I'm sure that you experienced that. Um, the coaches demanded you know, the most out of us. Um, they were pretty fair with the way that they handled everything, but you knew that if you weren't showing up, that you weren't going to play. So everyone was held accountable from top to bottom, and you know, it, was, it was an exciting time to be a Kitchener Ranger, that's for sure. Overall, that team, everyone knew the quality of players on that team. What was it like throughout the whole year knowing what kind of players that you were playing with and whatnot? Well, I think everyone was just shocked that I got to play with Nazem Kadri and Mikel Bodker, to be honest. But, uh, you know, people laugh when I tell them that was our second line. So, you know, we were a pretty deep team. You know, you, you see guys like Machinter and Timmins, and, you know, they, they played a pretty significant role for us, not as many minutes as they would have liked to, but they both went on to, you know, play in the NHL and Yannick Weber and all these guys. And, you know, unfortunately, Steve Mason got hurt. Otherwise, I think that, you know, we, we would have done a little better. You know, no knock to Josh Eunice there, but, 
Um, you know, we had an unbelievable team from top to bottom. Like I had mentioned before, it was a close knit group where you know we were hanging out. There was no clicks. There was nothing like that. And you know, like I said, it was just a really exciting time to be a Kitchener Ranger. I think the number was 53 wins you guys had in that season of 68 games. How how do you achieve that kind of consistency? Was the message from day one that the expectation is to win every night? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Um, especially when we found out we were hosting the Mem Cup, the biggest message was that, you know, we want to come in the front door, not the back. And you see, you see a lot of teams, you know, Windsor was a team that lost out in the first round, but they were able to kind of squeeze through and, gain some momentum and win a Memorial Cup but you know our, our biggest thing was that we wanted to be the best team starting to end and you know I, I thought we accomplished that we had a pretty good squad there but um, you know that's that's quite a quite a few wins that's quite a few wins we had a really good team and like I said you know it was from top to bottom it was a total team effort the coaches made sure there was no complacency in our game you know we'd win 12 in a row or 10 in a row and we'd be showing up on monday and we'd be getting bagged for some reason it it was it was kind of odd for me but um you know the way that those two pete and spotter and you know the guys that had come in freddie parker and fixie and troy smith and all these guys they they really held everyone accountable and they did a really good job real quick follow-up on going in the front door because you guys were cruising through the playoffs as well in fact you were on the verge of setting a record of going through 16 and 1 so you've got a 3-0 lead in the OHL final versus the Belleville Bulls you've won you're 15 and 1 at that point in the playoffs and then something happened Mike I'm not sure there was a blip and they take three straight what was the feeling amongst you guys going home from Belleville suddenly tied and having to play a game seven in the OHL final well, obviously, it's frustrating. Um, it would have been pretty nice to finish it in Belleville there, but uh, we came back, and everyone on that team had a lot of confidence. Even, you know, we lost the next game and the next one, and, you know, going into Game 7, there was no doubt in anyone's mind that we were not going to win that game. So, yeah, we, we took a little bit of a longer path than we would have liked to, and, you know, maybe we don't play those three games. We have a little bit more energy in the Mem Cup. You know, you got to kind of look at it from a different perspective there now, but... Um, you know, it's just the way it happened. We faced adversity. You know, we knew how to deal with it at the end of the day, and we came out victorious. So, you, you said there was no doubt that you guys were winning Game Seven, but I mean, there had to have been at some point during that series where, you know, you take that heavy swallow and you're like, "Oh man, what are we doing here? Like, how do we let that one slip? Or what is going on here? Was there was there someone in the room, yourself or anyone, that kind of came up and said before Game Seven that you know this is ours and we're not letting this happen? A guy that was pretty good for that was Azzy. Justin Azevedo was always a guy that said, you know, don't worry, boys, we got this. Don't worry, boys, I got this. Whatever, whatever it took, he was going to do it. And you see the kind of career that a guy like that has had, and, you know, that, that's one of the main reasons why we were where we were that season. And, you know, he didn't get enough uh, praise when we were all there as buddies. But for sure now when you look back, he was, he was the engine that drove our ship there. Everyone around Kitchener knows that life for the Rangers in Kitchener-Waterloo is a good life to have. They're treated very well. The fans love them. Um, but what was, what was it like being a Ranger in that city after an OHL championship? Well, unbelievable. I mean, you know, it's, it's an unbelievable feeling not being a champion in that city. Everyone treats you as if you are. So from the billets to the fans to the front office staff to the coaching staff to the medical staff, everyone treats you as if you're already a winner. And I think that's why there's been such a good history with the Kitchener Rangers and why they will continue to be moving forward. 
You talked about the accountability that was demanded from Pete DeBoer, Steve Spot. You'd be on a 10-game winning streak and you're getting bagged for something on a Monday. Uh, no question, uh, Pete DeBoer especially was one of the toughest coaches that we've seen in this league, and there's a reason he's doing what he's doing now, I'm pretty sure. Uh, as a coach now yourself, do you take any of the techniques that were used by those men into your own coaching? I, I don't think a lot of what they did be allowed now, <laughs> to, to be honest. Or at least the stuff they'd say wouldn't be, but um, yeah, you know, I, I think that holding people accountable is a huge thing, and you know, uh, consistency is the biggest part of hockey. And if you can find a way to be consistent, and you know, whether you're a coach or a player or whatever it is, I think you're going to be successful in whatever you do. You, you mentioned that, and the, the coaching style has changed from back when you know we were, all three of us played hockey versus what it is now. How, how difficult is it not being able to rely on those coaching lessons that you've learned from guys like that? Well, you just kind of see how it is nowadays, and if you're too critical, you know, it's more inclined for kids to kind of shut down and think that, you know, you know, he's, he's coming after me or something like that. So you got to kind of find a way to, you know, engage them. It's 23 different personalities in dressing room that you have to kind of find out which way each kid ticks. So, you know, maybe you and I can take a little bit of constructive criticism and, you know, maybe Mike here can't. So um, You're right, right for the record. <laughs> so you got to kind of tiptoe around it that way. But, I mean, everyone's been pretty good. And, you know, we're, we're just trying to find our stride now. We had a big win last game, and we'll, we'll just see how it goes. You mentioned that criticism and that kind of uh, being, being called out. You played the game very hard. It seemed like you never took a shift off. Did you ever need to be called out? I'm sure if you talk to <laughs> talk to Peter Spotter, they'd they'd give you a, a few words for sure. But yeah, I mean, you know, I I knew that I was an energy guy that um, brought it every night. But then again, you know, I, I contributed offensively. So at the beginning of my career, I kind of found it, it tough to, you know, am I a goal scorer? Am I a fighter? Am I a grinder? You know, so I kind of had to find a balance and you know, kind of level everything out where I think that all really came together after I signed with Florida and came into my overage year and had probably the best year of my career that season. But, um, yeah, that's it, it's, uh, it, it's pretty tough. So, Speaking of signing with Florida, uh, you got a taste of the National Hockey League. What was it like stepping onto the ice for your first NHL game? Exciting. Um, you know, a lot of, a lot of hard work paid off. Um, the the way that I kind of had to go about it is obviously a little bit of a tougher path than everyone else as a free agent, as you know, a five nine grinder that's coming in to play in your fourth line. So um, it was it was a sign of relief, um, excitement. You know, I was proud of myself. I was you know proud of my family members for sticking with me throughout everything. And you know, it, it wasn't as long as I would have liked it to last. But at the end of the day, you know, I can say that I, I played there. Was there a guy that you played against or played with that was a real, when you saw him, you were like, holy crap, I made it, kind of thing? Uh, probably, I, I think I played 59 seconds one game in Pittsburgh, <laughs> and that, Pete was the coach then, and I, I didn't get the puck down the ice. It was an icing, and all of a sudden, here comes Sid and Malkin and these guys, and I got hemmed in my zone for another 30 seconds after that, and I came back, and that was hit for me. So um, when, when those guys came out, obviously playing against Washington and Backstrom and Ovechkin, and, you know, it's, I mean, the list is really endless, you know, going to New York City and playing in Madison Square Gardens. There's so many memories that, you know, will be with me forever, and 
you know, once again, it all started with an opportunity playing with the Kitchener Rangers and having guys in my corner like Steve Spott and Pete DeBoer. So let's stick with coaching because that's what you're doing now in the Ontario Hockey League. But you start out as a player coach with the Elmira Jackals. Uh, was was that almost an accidental path to coaching, or did you start to get it in your mind at some point that yes, coaching is what you'd like to do to stay in this game? Yeah, I, I wanted to coach. My brother's coaching Ryerson University. Um, we've had a lot of open dialogue and communication about you know what I wanted to do past my retirement and whatnot. So. I had an opportunity that came up. I, I just really, I wanted to coach. I was ready to kind of retire and shut it down in part ways, but they didn't have a budget for that, so they signed me as the player coach. I took a bit of a pay cut with the understanding that, you know, I, I wasn't going to play any games. Uh, you know, unfortunately for the head coach, he was terminated halfway through the year, which left me by myself running a professional team, you know, doing the everyday GM duties, uh, running practices, you know, juggling lines by yourself on the bench. It was it was definitely an eye opener, but extremely exciting. Speaking of Ryerson, how about that Rams win over Team Canada? Unbelievable, <laughs> unbelievable. So my brother's done a great job with the Ryerson Rams. Uh, the CIS programs nowadays are, you know, way beyond what they were when I was coming up. And you know, you see a uh, a lot of major junior players that are actually legit players going to the leagues and being successful and moving forward. I mean, Joe Ward's obviously an exception of guys that go CIS and you know make it to the NHL, but I think it's it's a lot more relatable now than it ever was before. Going back to that decision to go to be, or to become a player coach and, and end your playing career, what went into that decision and what was the mindset that you went through? Obviously, it's nobody wants to stop playing but when you made that decision to stop and go to the coaching side what went through your head um for me it was more so you know where where is the uphill for me now you know i i set an attainable goal a goal when i was a young kid of playing in the nhl i made it i saw a pretty steady decline in the leagues that i was playing in and you know at the end of the day i was 29 years old my body hurt and you know i know the game pretty well i feel like i can i can relate with players pretty well because the role that i was in and you know my family experience and a lot of mentors that are all coaches so um it was an easy decision for me to kind of go down that path and you know hopefully i can be successful at that like they all have been how'd you end up here in peterborough Oh, funny enough, I actually I, I made call after call after call to different teams in the league, and I heard uh, a lot of no's, um, a lot of no callbacks, things of that nature. And I knew that Curtis Foster had signed with the Kingston Frontenacs, and that his role was never filled. So I made a you know a hope call to the Peterborough Peets and spoke to Jody Hall and. The original message I got was that they weren't really looking to fill that position, but I wanted to kind of keep them on the phone for an extra 30, 40 minutes where, you know, I I can talk, I can keep it rolling there. So, um, you know, he he said, you know, why don't you come down and we can have a face-to-face interview. So I drove down here about a week later, um, heard back, you know, a couple weeks after that that I was going to come back and meet the GM and the coach. So I figured that was a good sign. And then after that, there was a uh, just a GM meeting. So Jody actually coached with Steve Spot at the Ivan Holinka. So after I got off the phone with Jody, I called Spotter immediately. And I said, better do your work here, Spotter. You know, I, I did a lot of work for you over the years. Do something for me now. And, uh, you know, like the guy that he is, he's been pretty unbel- unbelievable to me and my family, you know, since I was a 15-year-old. So... He immediately got on the phone and put in a good word for me, and you know, here I am. 
it, it's 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 funny hear, hearing that story. But when when you got those no's, were were you worried? And a follow up to that, you don't have a chip on your shoulder, do you? Oh no, no, no. I'm I'm a pretty easygoing guy. I had a chip on my shoulder when I was playing. Not yeah. not so much now anymore. But um, I wasn't really worried. I I knew that there was going to be like as a player, there was a lot of adversity for me. There was a lot of you know you can't do this or you won't do this for me then and. You know, at the end of the day, I buried my head, did my work, and kept going. So that's kind of the path that I'm on right now. Are the players today different than the players that you played with and the kind of player you were back in the late 2000 and I don't know what do we even call that. Anyway, the era you played. <laughs> well, uh, considering you can only fight three times now, I think it's I think it's a little different than when we played for sure. But um, you know, there you see a lot more skill aspect of the game than it was ever. You know, mentioned before, I I never did the skill sessions or any of that stuff. Everyone now is you know doing your power skating in the summer, doing your skill sessions every other day. In the oh, I was in the gym for sure, but I wasn't doing the skill work. And uh, you see a lot of speed, talent, you know, fast paced hockey where you know it's it's not as a uh, as physical of a game as it used to be. I don't think. Having dropped your gloves and having that element in your game, do you still think that fighting has a spot in the game the way it is right now? Yeah, for sure. You know, I, I don't think a guy needs to go out and fight 40 times a year by any means, but I think that, you know, if something happens and, you know, the dust needs to be settled, someone can go out and do it. I don't necessarily think that you need to go and jump people or the stage fighting was really the way that the game needed to go, but, you know, there's still room for emotion and, you know, people going out and, you know, settling their differences. Are these games against Kitchener, which you're about to coach, uh, special for you? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the first time in Kitchener was was a little different you know I was on the opposite side and not a very nice room and it's uh you know it was a, a little different over there but um you know I got to go on the bench for the third period and you know unfortunately we lost the game but you know the Kitchen Rangers hold a pretty pretty special part of my life and my heart there and you know I'll always be a Ranger at the end of the day but as of right now you know we're on the opposition side here and you know we're looking for a W for the Peter Ropeets. It's good to see you back in the game here at this level. Thanks for doing this for us. Yeah, thanks for having me. Lastly, has Big Mike changed at all? <laughs> I think he got shorter. <laughs> Offside. <laughs> <laughs> Emily Roger, and I host a leadership show called The Boiling Point with my co-host, Dave Vale. Together, we sit down with trailblazing entrepreneurs, thought leaders, and movement makers who are driving meaningful change in our world. The show is all about exploring the lives and perspectives of leaders who are making a difference. Join us for insightful conversations that challenge the status quo, spark new ideas, and inspire you to take action. Find us on Apple, Spotify, YouTube, or at BoilingPointPodcast.com. Another Sound Off Media Company podcast.